Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. And one more time, Happy New Year. I don't know if you know this, but we're in 2023. Uh, have you kind of had a, a herky-jerky into it? It's like, I'm still writing 22 on some things. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're back in 23 now. So welcome. Happy New Year. We're here. We're ready to roll. And, uh, and I'm just excited. And I, I just want to say this. Um, last week, we did a totally different kind of a service, totally special, totally different, and we kind of punched our, our words, as Jackie was kind of mentioning, uh, or phrases into a bracelet or a necklace, and this is what's really cool about who God is. I talked to, I don't know how many it's been, it's probably been 15 or 20 people after last week, and wouldn't you know it that I have not yet, I'm not sure if it happened, maybe it did, but I, not, I haven't found yet that there's been one repeated word. In all the people I've talked to. In other words, God was speaking very uniquely to every unique person that was here. And they have all different words and phrases. And they are just so, so powerful. And so I'm excited because I know, you know, God is working. And we just have to be on board and listening to what he's doing. And then we're just following, we're chasing and tracking that down. And I look forward to seeing what's, what God's going to do this year. So... Um, all right, so welcome. Glad you're here. Whether you're in the physical room or you're online, we're awesome. This is great. Thank you for being here and joining us. So today I want to talk to you about a really fun game called chess. How many of you would agree that chess is a fun game? All right, there's about a third of you, maybe. That would be on a really good day. Okay, all right, so I, I hear you. I think chess is a fun game, although I have to admit, I am not that good at it. Uh, I, I know what the, the pieces do. I know how they're supposed to move, but honestly, I'm going to get beat more often than I'm going to win. That is just the truth. I'm not that good at it, but I do love strategy games, and uh, chess, although I like it, is kind of fun. It's a little bit more abstract for my taste. I kind of like what I'm taking over, and sometimes I can't see that. And so, but chess is a lot of fun, and and it's a strategy game that uses kings and queens and pawns and knights and bishops and rooks, and and then you have the goal of the game. If you play chess, you know what the goal of the game is. The goal of the game is to capture what? You need to capture the king. Right? That, that's how this game is designed. You have to capture the king. Now, when you get your, all of your pieces in a place where the opponent cannot move their king anywhere, if they move their king, if they don't move their king, or if they move their king, their king is captured, what do you call that in chess? Checkmate. Today, and for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about checkmate. We're going to talk about this battle that is constantly going on in our life, and it's for something really, really important. This battle is being fought over something incredibly, intrinsically valuable. So if you think about this, we're going to use chess as a metaphor for today and for the next two weeks after that. So for three weeks, we're going to use chess as our metaphor. And it's just a symbol, it's just a metaphor for what we really need to talk about. And today I want us to understand that there is a battle going on for something really valuable. There's two opponents that are battling for this valuable thing. You probably already have figured out where we're going. These two opponents that are battling for this valuable thing is God and Satan. 
Oh yeah, we're going there. Welcome to 2023. Aren't you glad you got up this morning? We're going to talk about the intense spiritual hidden, usually, not always, battle that is happening between God and Satan, the devil. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Now, here's what I want to kind of tell you right out of the gate. The most valuable piece on the board that they're battling for, you know who it is? It's you. It's you. You're the valuable piece in life. You're the valuable piece in this universe. You're the valuable thing that God and Satan are battling for. They're fighting over you. They desire you. They want you. Now, here's the truth. This battle is always going on. It's underneath the surface. And this is pretty terrible storytelling on my part, but I want to tell you how this game ends. At the end of the universe, when the world is done, when Jesus returns, I want to tell you what the end of the story is. I know it's bad storytelling on my part, but I just want to make sure that we know because it could be easy to get stuck in, in, the, in the difficult stuff of this battle today and for the next couple of weeks. But I want us to always remember what the end game will be. It is already done. It is already set. It is not a question. And I want to just tell you to be the, 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 the declaration so that we know at the end when Jesus returns, God wins, Satan loses. Amen. That's good news, people. That's big news. That's like the best news. God wins. Satan loses. That's the end of the game. The question, though, for us here today and for this series is a very simple one. Which side are you on? God wins. Satan loses. Which side are you going to play with? That becomes the question. So today, here's what I want to do. I know it's church, and I know we're here to worship God, but you know what I want to do? I'm going to spend our time giving you four truths about the opponent of God. I'm going to give you four truths about Satan today. And some of you are like, man, I came to church, and we're going to talk about Satan? Yep. And you know why? It's really important. Because you need to know who your adversary is. You need to know who your enemy is. You thought that it was the, the person who got elected that you didn't like, it's not your opponent. You might think it's somebody in your family that drives you crazy. I'm not saying they don't. <laughs> I have a few in my family drive me crazy. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm just here to say they're not your enemy. I want to get clear about who our enemy here is today, and so I'm going to give you four truths about our enemy, our common enemy, and that enemy is Satan, the devil. All right, so we're going to jump right in. Number one is this. In the game of chess and in the game of life, Satan is planning your downfall. He is strategizing for it. He's doing everything he can. He's moving his pieces in place in order to make sure that you fall flat on your face, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, in financially, whatever way he can. He wants you to fall on your face, and then he's going to laugh at you for it. He's planning your downfall. So you guys remember the Apostle Peter? 
Peter is like a perfect example of this battle between God and Satan because Peter, if you look at his life, he has moments where he has this incredible success in faith and then these other moments where he is just a complete, like, just terrible. <laughs> he fails, you know? Because Peter, on one hand, right, he gets to walk on water with Jesus. But what do we know happens when he's walking out toward Jesus? He's walking on the water, but eventually then he starts to doubt and he starts to lose faith. And what happens? He starts sinking. He's like, I mean, it wasn't like he didn't experience it. He was walking on top of water because of his faith in Jesus. And then all of a sudden he starts sinking. And so in that moment, Peter knew what it was to be with God and then knew what it was to be taken by Satan. He knew. Peter was also the same guy who, he was one of the first ones to boldly claim before all the other disciples to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. I know that. I claim that. And Jesus says, you got that from me. You were able to say that because I gave you the power to say that. And you know what happened just a few moments later? Peter says something else that was really, really dumb out of his pride. And you know what Jesus says? Some of you already know where I'm going with this. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Talk about a really up and down day. Jesus is like, Peter, that's awesome. You said that because of my power. And then a few moments later, he says, get behind me, Satan. If Jesus calls you Satan, it's not a good day, just so that we're clear. It's a rough day. Peter is also the one who declared on the night when Jesus was going to be arrested, Jesus, I will die for you. I will die for you. And it was later that night that Peter would deny three times in a row that he even knew Jesus. Wow, how things change. There's a constant battle and Satan is planning our downfall. And it's why Peter understood this. And this is probably why it was Peter who wrote these words that I want to share with you in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. This is Peter talking, so he knows what he's talking about because he experienced being on God's side and being on Satan's side. Listen to what he says. Peter says, Stay alert. Watch out. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers, other followers of Christ, Christians, all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In other words, Peter is saying, if you're going through this, if you feel Satan's attacks in your life right now, some of you, let's be honest, some of you have a good face on, but right now you're feeling it. You were so glad to turn the corner into 2023 because you're hoping for a better year. Some of you are there. If Satan's attacks are coming at you, know that all followers of Jesus feel this too along with you. Maybe not in the same way. It's not going to be the same story, but they're going to feel that same pressure. We all have. We all feel it. But then notice what Peter says at the beginning. He says what? Stay alert. Be aware. Be aware that Satan is coming after you. He's like a prowling lion. He's like he's hungry, and all he wants to do is devour you. Now, now just think about that. Okay? Satan is a, is a roaring lion. He wants to devour you. How many of you if, you, uh, if I took you to Africa and I said, now there are lions all over here and they are just gonna, they're just literally going to tear into you. How many of you are like, cool, I don't care. Let's just run and do whatever we want. 
It's going to be awesome. Oh, there's a lion. I bet he can't run faster than I can. <laughs> oh, you're done. Right? We don't mess with lions, but sometimes I think we don't get the gravity and the seriousness of Satan. Satan is like a lion. He's looking for an opportunity to devour you. So we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what Satan is trying to do. Satan is planning your downfall, but here's the deal. God has a plan as well. You know what his plan is? His plan is to help you surrender, not to Satan, but to him. So catch this, so God can fight Satan for you. Satan's planning your downfall, but God is planning your surrender so that he can fight against Satan for you. That's a good deal. All right, number two. When it comes to Satan, distraction is temptation. I've heard, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it goes something like, if, if Satan can't tempt you, he will just keep you busy and distract you. He'll kind of make, he'll kind of bring in apathy for you. That's what, that's what Satan does. Distraction is temptation. Now, uh, those of you that play chess, one of the biggest aspects of the game of chess is using what we call traps. Have you learned these? Uh, I actually did not know how many traps are out there in chess. This is probably why I get beat most of the time, because there are a lot of traps out there. I was watching this one guy, and, uh, and I watched a couple of things on Magnus Carlsen, who's like the best chess player in the world. He's unbelievable. And the way that they just, they get at you, because they kind of move things around, and they set you up in a trap. Now, one of the biggest ways that a trap works in chess, you know what one of the biggest strategies is? One of the biggest strategies, probably almost all the traps, not all of them, but almost all of them, the trap works like this. You move your pieces into a position where the opponent will take some of your pieces. They capture some of your pieces and remove them from the board. But then what you don't realize is they're moving secretly these other things in position. You don't see three, four, five, six moves ahead. And all of a sudden you feel like you're winning but your opponent is letting you take certain pieces so that they can get their power pieces into play, and then all of a sudden your king is in trouble and it's checkmate. That's how a trap works. That's exactly what Satan does. Satan gets you out of position. He puts you in places that you shouldn't be. He puts you in situations there where you shouldn't be there. He gives you timing that you should not have. And he tempts you and he pulls you into that. He traps you and it makes you feel like you're winning, but you're not. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture and then an example of this from my own personal life. So in uh, the Old Testament, King David, remember King David? We know King David for killing Goliath and for being the, you know, one of the first kings. He was the second king technically of Israel and, and just all these amazing things. Right? And his son was Solomon, so he kind of had this amazing kingly line. Wonderful stuff. But David messed up in the middle of his life, didn't he? There's a moment where he royally messed up. And the reason David had the adulterous affair with Bathsheba that he had, a lot of people don't catch this, but you know why he did? It's because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's why. He was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. So it was during the season when the nation of Israel was at war with all the nations around them. 
And the king would usually, if they were a good king, if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, they would be out helping to lead and guide and direct the army and making sure that the army's good. Inspiring them, encouraging them. That's where David should have been. But you know where he was? He was slacking. He was sloughing off. He was at the palace watching Netflix. Okay, he wasn't watching Netflix. Those of you that have Netflix, you're like, oh man, I can't have Netflix. No, I'm not digging on Netflix. All right? Depends on what you're watching on Netflix. (laughs) But David was sloughing off. He was lounging around the palace, and that's when he saw Bathsheba. Bathsheba's husband was gone to war. The opportunity was there. And David fell into temptation. Satan trapped him by getting him in a place where he shouldn't have been. And he sucked him in and took out the king, literally in this case. But let me give you a little bit more relevant example. Uh, so when I was, I don't know even when, what age I was. This was a long time ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, something like that. I, was, I remember I, I, very vividly, I don't even remember who the conversation was with, but I do remember the details of the conversation. So I was having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about our glory days in high school. Anybody ever had the conversation about your glory days in high school? Man, so good. You know, I played sports, and so sometimes I just kind of like to go back and relive the sports days of my youth, you know, when I could actually run and all those kinds of things. Uh, it was just amazing. And so we were talking about this. Again, this was 20, 25 years ago, so I'm like, I, don't, I probably was still in college or something like that, or maybe just out of college. And we were talking, and I was sharing about how I was a sprinter in track. So I'm not one of those middle long distance runners. Some of you are. That's wonderful. I'm glad. I like my races done in a few seconds. Like, done. All right. Thank you. Next, where are we going? You know, that's, that's how I like my races done. And so I was a 100 meter, 200 meter. Oh, if they talked me into it, sometimes a 400 meter, which was terrible because they call that a sprint. I'm like, that is not a sprint. That is way too long for a sprint. It needs to be done in like less than 20 seconds. You know, and, and so I would sometimes run the 400, but the 100, 200 is kind of my thing. And so he was asking me, how, how were your, what was your best time in the 100 meter? Now, here's the deal. Honestly, even as I was preparing this, I can't, I can't remember what that number is now, today. But here's what I know. At the time, I remember in my mind that when he asked me that question, I could picture my name in the booklet, in the track and field booklet, and I remember the second and the decibel point of my best time. I could remember it. But I think, I don't know, like I said, I can't remember the number to this day, but, but at that time I knew what it was, and I think the decimal point was bigger. Like it was seven, eight, nine probably, so it was closer to the one rounded up than down, but you know what I did, didn't I? I didn't tell him the decimal point. I just said, oh, it was around whatever that whole second was, and I rounded it down. probably equated to about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9 seconds. Which, by the way, in the 100 meters is a lot. But the reason I did that is because I was getting this whisper. It wasn't an audible voice, but there was something inside me that wanted to make sure that this guy knew I was pretty fast. I wanted to make sure he respected how fast I was. 
And so I couldn't tell him the exact number to the decimal point because the decimal point made me sound a little slower. And so I just, I just kind of rounded it. Oh, it was around whatever that number is. And I walked away feeling like maybe I had won. Like, oh, I look, I look better in his eyes now because he thinks I'm a little bit faster. When in reality, what was happening was Satan had trapped me. He'd sucked me in, made me lie about something that I had no business lying about, made no difference in the history of anything. I'm guessing you guys don't care whether your pastor can run 11 and a half seconds or, or 10 and a half seconds in 100 meters, right? But I, it mattered to me in that moment. And that's what Satan does. He gets you to elevate what doesn't matter to it really does matter. And he forces you and he calls you out and he tempts you to fall into sin. That's what Satan does. He distracts you and he moves you off of where you should be and places you in a place that you know you shouldn't be. And he swoops in and takes the king. So distraction for Satan is temptation. If he can get you distracted from God and what you should be doing, he can come in and tell you some other things to do. All right, we got to keep going. Number three, Satan goes for the center. Satan will always go for the center. Now, one thing that we know probably about chess, some of you that you play chess, you would know this, but when you play chess, what you want to try to do, generally speaking, this is not an absolute, like, you're going to win if you do this, but what you want to try to do is you want to try to control the four center squares. Have you learned this? Okay. What you want to try to do is you want to try to get your pieces in position, your pawns and your bishops and your knights and all kind of stuff, and you want, this is why you'll see, when you see grandmasters, they'll try to hide these things. But when they're playing against other grandmasters, they know the other grandmasters. They know what they're doing. But they'll move their uh, their pieces in position so the pawns are kind of in the middle, and then you've got bishops and you've got knights kind of sitting right on the edge so that they can swoop in, they can jump in. If anybody moves into that center space, you've got them. Whoever controls the center of the board, generally speaking, controls the game. So the question is, what is the center for you and I, metaphorically speaking? Well, that's actually an easy one. It's your heart and your mind. It's your desires, what you really want, and your thoughts. It's what you want, it's what you think about. Your heart and your mind. The truth is that Satan wants to control your heart and mind, and God, he doesn't want to control it, he wants to guard it. In fact, let me prove this to you. So uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to some new believers, some new followers of Christ, and he was trying to explain this dynamic to them. And he made a list of all these things. He said, you need to surrender to God and do this, surrender this, surrender this, surrender this to him. And then if you do that, and then he gets to this moment where he says, this is why you need to do this. This is why you need to surrender to God. Listen to what he says, Philippians 4.7. He says, then, if you do that, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will, what will it do? It will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Satan wants to take your heart and stomp it out. Satan wants to take your mind and he wants to focus you on lust, 
on greed, on problems, on issues, on your boss that you can't stand at work. He wants to focus you on all the things that don't matter. He wants to take your heart and stomp it out. He wants to fill your mind with everything that will distract you from God. And then he's going to do that. Why? Because he wants to control you. Because nothing you do, literally nothing you do, can happen without your heart and without your mind. Everything, Literally everything I'm doing, I'm speaking, I'm moving my hands constantly, as you guys know. All of that happens because it has to start here. I can't, I can't not think about it and then do it. I have to think about it. My brain has to know before I can do this because my brain is what's controlling all of this. So if Satan controls my heart and my mind, he's got everything. He's got the sender. But God wants your heart and mind not to control you, but to guard you from your enemy, to keep you away from Satan. And the question I have for you is, what are you putting into your heart and mind? Seriously, think about it for a minute. What are you putting into your heart and mind? Who are you hanging out with and what are they saying? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you dwelling on? I know how easily I can get sucked into something, a video or a, or a conversation that just I know is not godly, it's not healthy. It happens like that. Have you surrendered your heart and your mind to God so that he can guard it and guard you? Okay, got to keep going. There's a lot of things I want to say in each one of these, but we'll just, we'll just keep going, all right? Number four, last one. Satan resists your surrender. Satan is fighting against everything that you're fighting for. So if you are trying to move toward God, if you're trying to get deeper in your relationship with God, if you're trying to dig into God's Word, maybe, maybe that was one of your things in 2023. You're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into God's Word, and, and you're trying to do that. Then Satan is going to fight against you. He's going to come stronger against you because he does not want you into this. He does not want your heart and your, and your mind to be engaged in God's word. He does not want anything to do with this. You know why? Because this is what tells us God wins and Satan loses in the end. Satan does not want you to know that. He does not want you to learn that. He does not want you to learn how to live on God's side. And so he's going to keep you from this. He's going to keep you from prayer. He's going to keep you distracted. And he's going to use, And in fact, let me just dig in for a minute. So, uh, some of you were here uh, a few years ago when we did an entire series. You think this is bad? One Sunday on Satan? We did a whole series on Satan. Remember what we called it when the devil knocks? Remember that? We did several weeks and we only talked about the devil. <laughs> Welcome to Northridge Church. But... The truth is that in that series, we made a very, very important and clear point. A lot of people, when they are looking for Satan, when they're looking to avoid Satan, they're looking for evil, they're looking for grotesque, they're looking for scary, they're looking for horns, they're looking for pitchfork, they're looking for something that just looks terrible, it's selfish, it's nasty. If you're looking for that from Satan, let me just tell you, you're looking in the wrong place. I'm just, that, that's not Satan. You know why? Because Satan is way smarter than that. Way more crafty than that. 
You know where you need to look for Satan? You need to look for Satan where there's incredible pleasure. Yep. The things that are the most beautiful, the things that are the most pulling, the things that are the most enticing to you, intoxicating to you, I'm not saying that all of those things are, but many of those things, that would be Satan. For sure. Do you remember who Satan is before he becomes Satan? He was the most beautiful angel in heaven. The most beautiful one. Satan is not evil and and ugly and grotesque. Yeah, I know, metaphorically, evil, yes, I get that. But that's not how he looks. That's not how he's going to come across. He's going to present this view where, ooh, yeah, look at this. He's going to present himself in when you're doing your taxes and you know you could fudge a few numbers and you could probably gain a couple thousand dollars on, on your tax return and all you have to do is maybe change that number just slightly, just drop a zero, add a zero, whatever it is. And you, that's all you have to do. That's Satan. That's Satan. He's going he's gonna to whisper in your ear. He's going to tell you, you're worth it. You've worked really hard this year. You deserve that, those taxes to come back to you. The government definitely doesn't. Some of you are like, well, it, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I, by the way, my goodness, I've been off my nose so many times today. Let's just go, right? Here's the truth. There you go. That's exactly why Satan's lies work. Because what does he do? He uses 80 to 90% truth, and then he gets you with the other 10% of what you're supposed to do with that. Regardless of whether you think the government deserves it or not, the problem is the dishonesty. The problem was not, you know, me talking to somebody about sprinting and did that really affect his life or affect my life? Not really. The problem was it was sin. Satan will get you with 80 to 90% truth and then he twists that list, last 10% to make it sinful. And that's the part that gets us. Because we believe the 80 to 90% that what Satan is saying and what he's doing, man, he's crafty. Which is all the more reason why we need God to fight our battles for us. So let me end with one final example of this. I debated whether or not to talk about this because everybody's been talking about it this week, but uh, most of you know what happened uh, in the football game on Monday night, right? A lot of you were probably watching. I was watching. I love sports. I really love sports. And so, uh, like, Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, and they're playing for the playoffs. I'm like, uh, what's not to love? And so I asked my youngest son, Tanner, who's nine years old, I said, you want to watch with me? Uh, the rest of the family was engaged in other things. They were gone and this, that, and the other. And so it was just Tanner and I there. And I think Jackson had to do homework and all this other stuff. And so like Tanner and I sat down and, and there's the Buffalo Bills against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. So Tanner and I sitting there, we're watching this game. And a lot of you already know what happens, but some of you, maybe you don't know what happens. So we were watching this game, and during the first quarter, uh, there's a Buffalo Bills defensive player called DeMar Hamlin. His name is DeMar Hamlin, and he went to tackle one of their receivers. And it looked like a routine play. He tackled him and everything, and of course the camera cut away. And so we didn't see that after the play, DeMar Hamlin had sta- he stood up, and then he fell back over. 
And we didn't see that on live TV. They, they panned back and then they showed the replay later. And so it looked like one of those things where, okay, he, he, there's an injury and you know, all kind of stuff, and that's what they do. And then what they do, of course, is they pan off, and then they go to commercial because it's just kind of gap time for them. It's like football's not happening, and so they go to commercial. And so they went to commercial, and, and it was like two, maybe three minutes, something like that. And then they come back in, and as soon as they came back in, you knew something was wrong, like hugely wrong. The cameras were on the field, the stadium was silent. Tens of thousands of people silent. And there's this tight circle of players around um, DeMar Hamlin, who's laying on the field. And the cameras, they did not show the angles where you could even see what was going on. So all you saw were the players and the coaching staff. You couldn't even see the medical staff. They were, they were gathered around DeMar Hamlin working on him. But you couldn't see that. But here's what you could see. And those of you that watched, or those of you who have seen the replays, you know this. What you saw was all the grown men just standing around there trying to hide from the cameras what was going on, and they're just crying full on. Just tears streaming down their faces. And you knew this was no normal thing. So what had happened, for those of you that maybe haven't read or seen these things, is DeMar Hamlin ended up having a cardiac arrest on the field. They actually had to come out and, and resuscitate him, which thankfully they were able to do. The medical staff acted very quickly. It was amazing. And they resuscitated him. But he was on the field for nine, ten minutes, something like that. Now, what's really, really cool is you guys have hopefully been following. I've been following. I've been very interested because I've been praying for him all week and, and his family and all the other things. And, and, and what I know is DeMar Hamlin now at this point has really made a huge turn. For the good. He's been talking. He's actually FaceTimed with his, with his teammates. They think that his neurological activity is, is fairly intact or completely intact, which is huge for the amount of time that his heart was not pumping blood and oxygen. And so the, the prognosis at this point, for everything we know, is, is a lot better. So that's good. But here's why I bring that up. I want to share two things. This is just my take. So when Tanner and I were watching... Uh, they came back to commercial, then they went to commercial, then they came back to commercial, then they went to commercial. This happened like three times, mainly because Joe Buck and Troy Aikman had no clue what to say. I mean, they really didn't. They were just, it was, it was the most silence I've ever seen on, on live TV, ever. It was very, very strange. And so they came back after the third set of commercials. Finally, they had gotten DeMar Hamlin into the ambulance, and the ambulance, they'd closed the doors, and the ambulance was driving off the field to go to the hospital in Cincinnati where they were going to work on him again. And his life was very much in the balance. Everybody knew it. Although we didn't know it was cardiac arrest at the time. Nobody else knew that. But we knew his life was in the balance. And this is, this is really cool. So we were watching this on TV, Tanner and I, and then all of a sudden, the camera pans up, and I got out my phone, actually, and I snapped a picture of it. So I want to show you this picture. This is, a, this is a picture of what happened as the ambulance was leaving the field. So this is just, and, and I think we understand what's going on here. The, the ambulance is literally on its way out, and the entire Bills organization, the, the players and the coaching staff and everybody, they're all kneeling down, and what they're doing, it looks like maybe they're just in solidarity. No, they're praying. The reason I know this is because if you read some of the stuff, we, we know what they were doing. In the middle of that circle is Coach Sean McDermott. 
And that's important. Let me tell you why it's important. Sean McDermott is one of those guys that kind of leads this charge. Now, this is really cool. Randy, I know I'm out of order here, but I want to go back. The next morning, okay, so save that note for a minute. The next morning on NFL Live, ESPN, there's a guy named Dan Orlovsky, and he starts this, this cast, and he just, you can tell that he's wrestling with something. Let me tell you, God and Satan were, it was obvious that that was happening right there on the set. No doubt about it. Because I, you could feel that Dan was wrestling. Satan was trying to pull him this way. God was pulling him and leading him this way. It was so obvious. You go back and watch it. It's on YouTube. Okay, I'm not going to play the video, but you can see that. And what he does is Dan Orlovsky, he's sitting there and he's looking at the camera, but then he just looks down and he says, you know, everybody's been saying our thoughts and prayers are with Damar Hamlin. And he says, I think that that's good. But he said, I just, I, I don't know if this is okay. I don't know if, I'm, if I should do this. But he said, I think I just need to stop and I, I, I want to pray for him right now. On live TV on ESPN. And he bows his head. And actually, before he does that, he says, I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to close my eyes. He said that. And then he does it. And then the two other co-anchors with him, the gal and the guy, they bow their heads and they close their eyes with him. And he prays. And it wasn't a rub, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub kind of prayer. This is the picture of that moment. He prayed for like a solid minute. And it was an amazing prayer. Beautiful prayer. And you could tell that Dan Orlovsky, he knew he felt the fear of the wrath that he might feel from ESPN and him maybe even, it's possible he disappears as a result of this. It, that, it's very possible. I hope not, but it's possible. And that's what he was probably wrestling with. Satan was whispering, Dan, don't do it. You'll lose your job. You're done after this. But he did it. Man, I'm so proud of him. Because he listened to God's side. Satan, I have no doubt, was dragging him away. And he stopped and he prayed. Now, let's go back to Sean McDermott. So Sean McDermott, the head coach, is in the middle of that prayer circle. Right? Now, this is what's really, really cool. Sean McDermott is a strong man of faith. He believes in Jesus. He follows God faithfully. Now, this is what's really cool. I have not heard anybody talk about this. They may have, and I just haven't seen it, but I haven't heard anybody talk about this. So five years ago, the head coach, Sean McDermott, five years ago, uh, the 2017 season, Sean McDermott was hired as the Bills' head coach. And at the end of that season, they had an amazing season, his very first season. They had a press conference. And uh, in this press conference, Sean McDermott came out and he started by praising God. Then a reporter asked him a really important question about the season. He said, did you even expect this to happen? And then Sean McDermott gives an amazing answer. I want to read for you. I literally pulled the transcript from this article that talks about this press conference. And so the words are going to be in front of you. This is really amazing. And I want, I want you to understand how deep this is, this moment that happened last, last week, this last week on Monday. Okay, this, listen to what happened. In his post-game press conference, remember, this is five years ago. This is not recent. Five years ago. In his post-game press conference, McDermott wasted no time in thanking the Lord. Opening up, really, I just want to praise God, number one. It was a heck of a year. He continues to bless us, he said. The first question he received from the media was, could you ever have ever imagined this happening in your first season as head coach? You know what? I'm a firm believer in faith. 
And I know God brought me here for a reason, McDermott said. He brought this group of men together for a reason. So that's what I fall back on in times like this. That was five years ago. I want you to hear this. Satan is planning your downfall, but God is planning your surrender so that you're in the right place at the right time. You know what I think, possibly? I'll never be able to prove this. I'm just conjecture, but it's possible. That God brought Sean McDermott to the Buffalo Bills, not so much so that they can have success, but so that he could be on the front lines and lead the way that he did on Monday night when one of his players' life was in the balance. That's how serious this battle between God and Satan is. It's a life and death struggle, literally. And the question I have for you is, which side are you playing on? Which side are you playing on? Will you surrender, all of you, to God's side? If you haven't, do it. Do it. You won't regret it. And he will guard you against your true enemy, which is Satan. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that you battle for us. You, you have given your life for us. You died for us. You sacrificed everything for us. And the reason is because you want us to surrender everything to you, our heart, our mind, our desires, our thoughts, our plans, our decisions, our moments. It might be an intense moment like with Damar Hamlin where the life is in the balance or it might be simply we're having a conversation and we feel like we want to lie to make ourselves look a little bit better and we know we shouldn't. And that all of those times we need you, God. We need you fighting for us. We need you pushing Satan away, resisting. And God, I didn't even, I didn't even get into this. But God, in your word, it says, if we resist you, if we resist you, then Satan comes on. But it also says, if we resist the devil, he has to run. He has to flee. He has to get out. He cannot exist where you are. And so God, if there's anybody in here who is experiencing and feeling the intensity of Satan's attack, I pray that they, you would just help them to realize and remember and understand, even in this moment, that all they need to do is surrender to you and resist the devil because he has to run. He has to run. He has to leave. If we have your power in us, he can't get anywhere near us. So God, I pray that you would help us to understand who our enemy is and surrender to the only one who battles for us in the way that we need to be battled for. 
And that is you, Jesus. I thank you for loving us and the truth that you give us. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.